When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Tell It As It Is podcast is sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook. Now, DraftKings Sportsbook is not only my favorite sportsbook to use, but it is also America's top-rated sportsbook. And speaking of America, our top athletes are over in Tokyo competing for the gold. And if you want a way to get in on the action, DraftKings has the offer for you. Place any pre-event wager of $1 to be eligible to cash $100 in free credits if America wins any medal this year. That's 100 to 1 odds on an American athlete to stand on the podium and receive gold, silver, or bronze this week. That is 100 to 1 odds for what is basically free money. And an offer like this does not come around often. So sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook now to get in on all of the action. And the best part about DraftKings Sportsbook is that it is incredibly easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors, and the best part, limitless ways to get in on all of the action, no matter the sport, even as we get into the doldrums of the summer, there is always something for you on DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits if America wins a medal. That's code THPN to turn $1 into $100 in free credits for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Hello once again, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, as always, Griffin Youngs, and welcome to August, where there is not a lot happening if your team is not the Colorado Avalanche, who apparently are the only team in the news cycle over the last couple of days between making an actual hockey signing with Ryan Murray at one year for two million dollars. I talked about him last episode as being a potential great fit with the Avs. We'll talk about how I like this fit here, where this leaves the Avalanche's defense, and if there's anything else they even need to do this offseason. And probably the the topic that has dominated 
cycles over the last couple of days the most is uh, Nikita Zadorov. Remember that guy talking about how Nathan McKinnon is a little crazy when it comes to being competitive and his experiences with McKinnon in Colorado and how he takes care of himself and his team in an almost militant way. We will get to that full interview and everything in due time. But first, I want to talk about Ryan Murray and him signing with the Colorado Avalanche for one year at $2 million. And as I was saying last episode when we were looking at the free agent market for anything that the Avalanche can do, I really like the fit here with Ryan Murray. Now, Ryan Murray, former second overall pick of the Columbus Blue Jackets back in 2012, which is, to be fair, the weakest draft that we have seen in a long time, and history will prove that to be the case looking back at it, comparing it to the other drafts of the last decade. Definitely the worst one, but Murray has played for Columbus for the last several years until he was a cap dump to the Devils last year. And he was decent in New Jersey, just about league average. You look at his points, 14 assists, no goals in 48 games played. Swapped between partners essentially all season on a very, very bad New Jersey Devils team that suffered through a lot of COVID problems early in the season. And the Devils went out and got Dougie Hamilton. And obviously, they acquired Ryan Graves from us. So they didn't really have much use for Murray anymore. And obviously the question some people might be asking is, why was Ryan Murray available so late after free agency? And it's because he's got a very deep injury history, which we can talk about in a little bit. But just looking purely at the skill set and the fit here, Ryan Murray is a very, very strong puck mover. And I essentially see this as a a Graves replacement. He's a far better skater than Ryan Graves, and they're not really comparable players. I mean, you look at Murray skating, it's arguably his best asset. And he'll fit in great on this Avalanche team. He'll plug probably into the penalty kill. I'll probably, making my roster for next season, plug him in on the third pair with Bo Byram. I talked about this a little last episode, but... Uh, Gerard McCarr, top pair, I'm sorry, Taze McCarr, top pair, Gerard Johnson, second pair, and Murray Byram, third pair with Curtis McDermott as the extra defenseman. I also wouldn't be surprised if we saw a pairing of Gerard and Murray on the second pair and Johnson to play with Byram, but with Ryan Murray, puck mover, don't expect him to really score any goals unless he can get lucky, which he might. It's an 82-game season, and if he can play the full bit of it, you know, he might get lucky once or twice and get a bounce into the net, but he could, he's going to move the puck. He's not going to shoot it, so don't don't expect many goals from him, if if any at all. He, I mean, when even was the last time he scored a goal? He scored two goals in the 2019-20 season in 27 games, but like I was saying, the concern here with Murray and why he was available for the Avalanche so much later after free agency is because he has an extensive injury history that has plagued him throughout his entire career. So you look at him in the past, drafted in 2012, he makes his debut in 2013, plays 66 games, 21 points. Pretty good. Next season, 
12 games, three points. Next season after that, he plays every single game, 82 games in his third ever season. And that is the last time that he has played a full season. Next season, 60 games, you know, not terrible. That's what, that's what, 22 games, you know, that, that happens from time to time. Next season, 44. Next season, 56, which is a shortened season like we saw last year, but still missing plenty of games. Year after that, 27. And yes, that season got bumped down to about 60 games or so, but that's still more than half of the season, which led to him being a cap dump to the Devils for a 2021 fifth round pick. And then that season with the Devils, which was last season, he plays 48 games, which is, I mean, he only missed about eight games, which for him is not a lot. And for probably the average NHL player, you're you're going to miss a game every here and there. And like I said, picked up 14 assists, no goals, didn't really have a lot of consistency on the the Hurricanes just because of how often he was cycling partners all of the time between player and player, whether it was Ty Smith or or Subban. It was just a very it's it was I imagine it was very hard for him to get any sort of rhythm going last year. Especially I mean, like I said, the Devils they also had a very long COVID pause early in the season like I vaguely remember it but I remember them and the Devils like in February like they had like two weeks off at a certain point and had like 10 games rescheduled and I don't think it's a coincidence that those were two of the worst teams in the league they were already bad as it was but they bottomed out badly so hopefully next season He'll get a bit more consistency. Like I said, I see him maybe moving up and down between the second and third pair. The reason I like this signing so much is that you can do that with Murray, and that he has that kind of skill set that you can put him with Gerard and maybe bump Johnson down to the third pair with Byram, or you can keep him with Byram. Now that I'm kind of saying that out loud, I kind of like Murray with Gerard better than I would with. Byram because I I think Johnson could be a bit of a better mentor to Byram which I think is a bit more important in this scenario but if I have one hang up about this is that it's Ryan Murray's injury history that's no secret but it also applies to Eric Johnson you have two very injury prone defensemen here and as we saw last season Eric Johnson did not play a lot of games and Ryan Murray, obviously, has suffered in the past. Eric Johnson last season played four games. And Murray, while he was healthy, still missed eight. And the year before that, he missed over half of the season. There is a scenario going forward where you are missing two of your six defensemen for an extended stretch. Let's say that happens. All of a sudden, you're down to McCarr, Gerard, Taze, and Byram in your top four, and then you have your bottom pair of Curtis McDermott and Jacob McDonald. That's a, that's a big blow to your defense, but to be fair at the same time, every team is just about two injuries away from having their depth decimated, so maybe that's not all that fair of a complaint to really have, 
but I still think that concern is there. I mean, I really hope Eric Johnson can stay healthy next season. It, by all indications, it seems like he's ready to go for next season, and he better be because we're going to need him. I wasn't entirely sure that Eric Johnson was still going to be on this team next season, but he's here, and we're going to need him. And while I really like the Ryan Murray signing and just how his skill set fits in with this team, they're also going to need him to stay healthy. And when this defense is healthy, I think this is a this is a very good defense to trot out next season. You've got, obviously... Your two, your three horses with McCarr, Gerard, and Taze. You've got your ridiculous top pair of Taze and McCarr. You've got Gerard and Eric Johnson. I mean, you want to complain about Sam Gerard's size? Okay, well you can put him with the monster that is Eric Johnson, and that can pretty much just go away after that. And then your bottom pair of Ryan Murray and Bo Byram. Bo Byram is a big wild card in this because if he if he's ready to make a big step into the NHL, he could he could be in that top four very soon into the season. Or there's also a scenario where he's just not ready at all and probably hangs out on the bottom pair, seventh defenseman. And Curtis McDermott, bit of just injury insurance, swap him in and out for maybe more vicious games. I don't know. I re- I'm not thrilled about the potential of him getting a ton of ice time next season if we can avoid it. But just getting back to Ryan Murray and how he was with the Devils last season, if you look at his player card from Jay Fresh, even strength offense, 31st percentile, as expected. Even strength defense, 69th percentile. Nice. But overall wins above replacement percentage, 54%. His quality of competition, 57%. He was getting some hard matchups with the Devils last season. I don't remember the Devils defense last year off the top of my head. Maybe I could find that real quick. Just maybe run that through. But Murray, I know they had Subban and Ty Smith, Damon Severson. I'm missing a few guys, but it wouldn't it's not all that surprising to see that they would have some of some of the Murray getting some more of those quality defensive starts. And I think he's going to fit in pretty nicely here. His Overall, I mean, his numbers did take a dip. I mean, with his injury-riddled seasons in Columbus, he was still like a, in the 75th percentile when it comes to wins above replacement, and both his offense and defense at even strength did take a dip. But they are still good. I mean, those numbers didn't factor in his injuries. And when he was playing, he was excellent. And... Last season with the Devils, like I said, all of the the weirdness that was last season. And I mean, the Avalanche, we experienced a lot of weirdness with the COVID season, as we all know, with all the schedule rearranging and everything. But the, the, the Devils and Sabres and Canucks as well got the worst of it. And for a guy like Ryan Murray, you know, he's finally healthy for most of the season. And then he's dealing with all that shit at the same time. And also, like, he's going between playing with with Subban and Severson and Ty Smith, like there's just, there was no consistency. So I see the potential here for a really, really strong fit. And when I saw this signing for the first time and was thinking about it, I also wouldn't be that surprised if Murray is a guy who sticks around here for a little while. You know, he is only signed for one year right now at $2 million. But if, if this works out here, 
I could see an extension coming because I think this is a real natural fit with his skill sets. And if he can stay healthy, I think this could be the kind of player that could stick around here for maybe an extra year or two. I mean, maybe if he plays really well, he'll probably end up pricing himself out of here and get a bigger contract at 27, 28 years old as he'll be next season. But as of right now, I like this signing a lot. And it, again, there is potential here with this Avalanche team for injuries. I mean, like any other team in the league, but you you especially look at their their method of stopping pucks, which is their defense and their goaltending. Eric Johnson and Ryan Murray have an extensive history of injuries, especially in the past couple seasons, that have a real possibility of rearing their ugly head. You look in goal, Darcy Kemper has a history of injuries that could rear its head. Pavel Francouz missed all of last season. There is a universe out there in the future where all four of them miss time and the Avalanche are in deep, deep shit. But if they all stay healthy, all indications suggest that this is going to work and this is a really solid defense. I think this gives the Avalanche, honestly, a top three defense. I was just, before I hit record, I was looking around at just depth charts and I can't really name many other teams that just have a better defense all around from top to bottom. Tampa Bay has the best one. They have essentially everything. And Carolina losing Dougie Hamilton, you can you can argue that the Avalanche have a better defense than them now. I mean, and who else would you say is is better? You look around at like the top teams in the league, Vegas. It it takes a dip, but Petrangelo and Martinez is a solid top pairing. McNabb, Theodore, Haig, White Cloud. It's definitely up there. Is it better than the Avalanches? I'd say that's up for debate. Nashville's is very obviously not there anymore. And you look, like, I'm just trying to think of teams that would even have one. Like, top teams in the league? Like, has, has Florida been flying under the radar? I don't think so. It's pretty good, but I'd say the Avalanche have a top three at worst defense in the NHL, at least on paper, from top to bottom. You look at their the, their four horsemen, or it's three right now, but it's going to be four once Byram is ready of... McCarr, Gerard, Taze, and eventually Byram. And you even just put those three up there right now. Half their defense is Kale McCarr, Sam Gerard, and Devon Taze, which is really damn good. That's I'd say that might be the best top three in the NHL. I mean, Tampa Bay, again, I feel like I always have to preface this. Well, Tampa Bay also has a really good one, too. Yeah, Tampa Bay is obviously the, the like the defending back-to-back champs for a reason, but even even their top three, I wouldn't say their top three defensemen are better. Like, Victor Hedman is, he took a step back last year because of injuries and all that, but year over year, the best defenseman in the league. But, like, Ryan McDonough, he had a good playoff. Mikhail Sergachev, he's good. I'd say the Avalanche have the, have the best top three defense in the league still, and... Again, getting back on point, adding Ryan Murray to that mix, I think, makes this a really, really strong defense. That's why that's why I like the idea of this from the beginning. His skill set, his skating, and his puck movement will fit in very naturally here, almost better than what Ryan Graves did. And I love Ryan Graves, and he's going to be great in New Jersey, but Murray might just be a little more natural, I would say. And... 
I hope Eric Johnson stays healthy this season too, because we're gonna we're gonna need kind of his diversified skill set that's not pure puck movement and skating and just bring a little more physicality to the table I would say size along those lines because there's going to be a lot of a puck moving guys here with McCarr and Gerard obviously and now Murray but I like how this looks I especially like how the defense looks I was a little concerned a few episodes ago, even as soon as last episode, that it was going to take a step back. But, you know, you lose Timmons, you lose Graves, you lose all your guys, and you still come out okay. And this still looks pretty good. I like this. And I think you can run ahead with this next season, and you make the playoffs, and it gives you a chance to win the cup with this. I like like how this defense looks a lot. And on paper, this team still looks pretty good. You know, we've obviously had some subtractions this offseason. It hasn't been easy, but I'd say with just a couple more moves, this team is pretty much ready to go. And if you want your team to win a cup, you're going to need uh, some some leaders at the helm, which is where we can move to Nathan McKinnon and Nikita Zadorov's interview where he talked about the progression of Nathan McKinnon and just how competitive he really is. So for those of you who missed this, I will read the excerpt that was given to us by Joe Kletke on Twitter, Joel Joel Kletke on Twitter, saying this excerpt from a Russian interview where Zadorov talks about Nathan McKinnon is pretty eye-opening. And here is what Zadorov had to say. It's kind of a long one. I'll try to cut back where I can. But basically, Zadorov says he saw the progression in Nate's game and saying he is a pro. He spends $50,000 a year on a dietologist. He lives with a doctor in his house during the season and pays him $1,000 each day. In addition, he rents him an apartment. He has his own chef who he pays $100,000 a year. He simply invests in himself and his own body so he can play at the highest level. He continues to say he's crazy that way. He eats right. He doesn't drink. He only drinks water. Two years ago in Colorado, he got rid of all of the pop, meaning soda, ice cream, and desserts. He got rid of he got rid of them from the dressing room and pregame meals. He even got rid of the white sauce carbonara. For pasta, he replaced the actual pasta itself with chickpea pasta that has more protein and so on. He made pros out of our entire Colorado team. It's one of the reasons that Colorado got such an improvement in performance over the last couple years. He says, meaning McKinnon says, guys, if you want to eat that crap, you have the offseason for that. When you come here, there will be none of that because we're winning the cup. All the young guys see it look up to him, and try to do their part. And here Zadorov compares McKinnon to the great Michael Jordan, saying Nate is like MJ. I don't want to make a direct comparison, but his way of thinking is very similar to MJ. He can be a jerk to his teammates slash line mates, and you need to accept that. It would improve you as a hockey player as a result. If you can't accept it, well, you're off the team. He is always the hardest working guy. He comes out 30 minutes before practice, constantly working on his hands. Young guys see that he's the best player in the NHL, and still he works to improve. It motivates them to work even harder. 
If you miss a pass in practice, he would skate over and literally scream at you. You can't pass him the puck without hitting his stick. He had, we had young players come over during the playoffs. If the puck ends up in his skates, not even his skates, if it misses his stick by a tiny bit, like 15 centimeters in front of the blade of his stick, he doesn't move his stick to catch the puck. He stops everything, turns around, and slaps the puck back at you. He is not going to try to receive any puck he doesn't like during practice just to show you that you made a shitty pass. He is a guy that demands that everyone leave everything out there to maximize their abilities. Now, this has made the rounds over the last few days, sparking some 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 people taking the piss at McKinnon for his kind of militant attitude towards other players' diets. Some, pr- some pretty great memes have come out of this, though. Andre Burakovsky in Washington was... I can tell you this. Burakovsky definitely got a couple talking tos from Brooks Orpik, who kind of was the McKinnon of the, the Stanley Cup Washington Capitals that were well-documented when Burakovsky was still on the Capitals. So I'm sure McKinnon had a couple talks with him. There was even... I remember a story back when Burakovsky was traded to the Avalanche that McKinnon really got in his face like in like one of the first few days of training camp essentially saying you better figure it out because you're not bringing that shit to Colorado and this it's been pretty hilarious the last couple of days is McKinnon when he sees his teammates eating sugar it's the picture of him throwing his water bottle down at the bench before he like yells at the coach and he's a little crazy I mean we can we can be honest here this is, to us, mortal human beings who eat chips at 1 o'clock on a weekday because we don't play professional hockey. This seems insane, and it is a little insane. He's spending hundreds of thousand dollars a year on making sure his body is always at peak performance, and he is keeping tabs on his teammates, making sure they're always at their peak performance, and obviously... This doesn't always go over well with everybody. If you're getting rid of just the the pasta for chickpea pasta, like if you just had a bag skate at practice, you've got a back-to-back the next day, and all, all you want is just some goddamn pasta, and Nathan McKinnon swaps it out for chickpea pasta with no sauce, I would be livid. I... I, I don't like what are you and what are you gonna do are you gonna confront Nathan McKinnon like hey man can we have our pasta back I'm he would probably beat you with a tire iron if you ever got in his face with that crap I love Nate and honestly this is this is the kind of attitude that you need in order to go far and Zadorov brought up Michael Jordan and he obviously he said he didn't want to make a direct comparison but the line of thinking is very similar. McKinnon wants the best out of himself, and he wants the best out of everybody. We've seen from McKinnon forever that this is one of the most competitive guys in the league. And Zadorov credits Colorado's significant improvement over just the last about four to five seasons to McKinnon. 
and the way that he made professionals out of this team. I mean, one of the direct quotes from there is, that's one of the reasons that Colorado got such an improvement in performance over the last couple years. If Because you, if you'll remember, the Avalanche were the worst team in the salary cap era in 2016-17, and then all of a sudden made the playoffs for four straight years. That Like, that was not that long ago, which is still pretty crazy to think about when you look at this team now, that... 1617 was really only five years ago, which is just crazy to think about. And you can look at the direct correlation with McKinnon, rookie season, 63 points, 38, 52, 53, 53 points when they were like the worst team in the league. Next year, 97 points, 99, 93, 65, and 48 games. McKinnon really turned this team around and the weirdest part of this conversation like I understand people just taking the piss and making memes and making fun of him because we cannot even begin to comprehend the amount of sacrifice that goes into being the kind of athlete that Nathan McKinnon is that's all well and good but the people who took this seriously and were like well McKinnon has never actually won anything in the NHL so th- this whole thing is essentially pointless and he's just a dick for no reason. Are you okay? Like, truly honest to God, are you okay? And people are like, oh, the- bringing up Michael Jordan, like Michael Jordan isn't a six-time champion. You want to know something interesting? Have you like, have you never watched, did you not watch The Last Dance? Do you even know what happened in Michael Jordan's career? Michael Jordan couldn't get over the hump. Michael Jordan and the Bulls couldn't get past the bad boy Detroit Pistons. And Nathan McKinnon is 25. He's 25. He has well over a decade to go in his career. You look at all the ways that he is taking care of himself and his body right now, barring catastrophic injuries, I'd say McKinnon has a solid 15 years left in the NHL. And people are bringing up his legacy over these quotes from Zadorov. Give me a break forever. Shut up forever. Legacy is something you bring up when players are in the twilights of their careers at the earliest. Like, not when they're 25 and, oh, they're stuck in the second round. They can't get past the second round. Guys, you got to stop doing this. I get sports. We need stuff to talk about. And hockey is honestly better than other sports when it comes to stuff like this. Winning championships is really fucking hard. And only one team wins them a year. Like, we're not as bad as the NBA with, like, people were saying, like, Giannis and the Bucks were failures already because they lost in the playoffs a few times and then they win the next year. But, like... People did this with Ovechkin forever and like made him a laughing stock because like, oh, they can't get past the second round. And then what happened? They won the cup anyway. People did this with Joe Sackick. He was almost traded for like, oh my God, like back when he was in Quebec, they had a really good team and they lost. And even even with Steve Iserman, like wasn't he almost traded for Alexi Yashin back when the Red Wings couldn't get over the hump? How about you give guys some time, man? How about you give them some time? Like, Sidney Crosby winning a cup in 09 ruined everything for everybody. And so did Crosby and Kane winning in back-to-back years 
ruined everything for everybody. You get no leeway, period. If you don't win a cup by the time you're 25, you're a failure. Your legacy is a fraud. The Avalanche and McKinnon have made the playoffs five times in his career. He's made it for the last four years, and in his rookie season, they lost in the first round of Minnesota. Let's let's look at these. The Avalanche had a PDO bender in 2013-14 with the Patrick Waugh team. McKinnon had 10 points in that seven-game series against Minnesota. But yeah, blame him for that one. They lose the second wild card, or they are the second wild card, and they lose the President's Trophy winning Predators in six games. McKinnon, six points in six games. Second wild card again, they beat Calgary, where McKinnon is a fucking stud, and then they lose to the Sharks, where McKinnon is a stud again, 13 points in 12 games. Next year in the bubble in Dallas, McKinnon goes beast mode, 25 points in 15 playoff games. They barely lose to Dallas. And this year, he smokes the Blues, struggles late against Vegas, 15 points in 10 games. Talking about, like, McKinnon can't get past the second round. Like, that is such a weak argument. That just shows you don't, you're just, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, I feel like I did this, I feel like I do this all the time. I did this with Ovechkin, and now I'm doing it with McKinnon, but it's not wrong either way. McKinnon is a beast in the playoffs, and like, oh, the Avalanche can't get, get, get past the second round. Like, like any of their second round exits are at all the same thing. Like, those can just be lumped into one category. I've had this rant before, but it just doesn't get any less ridiculous. Like, okay, let's look at, let's look at their four playoff exits. As the second wild card, they push an extra game against the President's Trophy-winning Predators where McKinnon plays out of his mind in that series. The next year, they smoke the best team in the West, Calgary, in four straight games after losing Game 1. McKinnon scores an overtime winner in that series to completely turn it around, and they go up against the Sharks, lose by one goal in Game 7 as the second wild card almost went to the conference finals as the worst team in the division. But that gets lumped in here. And against Dallas, they lose Grubauer, they lose Francois, they come back from down 3-1, to one, force a Game 7, they blow a late lead because Michael Hutchinson is in net, and Yoel Kiviranta scores the first Game 7 hat trick since Wayne motherfucking Gretzky. But uh, can't get past the second round. And that gets lumped in with they lost four straight to Vegas, which I would consider to be their first true disappointment in the playoffs, where I would say I was disappointed with them and their circumstances and that they should have won. There, there is no narrative, oh, these guys can't get past the second round. They can't get it done. We are so far away from that conversation, I can't believe people are even bringing it up. I lived through the Washington Capitals losing in the second round every year. The fact that this is even being compared to that is offensive. This is nowhere close to that. Not even a comparable situation whatsoever. They have had one true disappointment in the playoffs. And if you want to count Dallas, which is perfectly fair, two. But even against Dallas, again, no Grubauer, no Francois. Grubauer's in that series. They win it. 
And Kiviranta scores a hat trick in Game 7. Yoel Kiviranta came out of nowhere and was the first guy since Gretzky to score a hat trick in a Game 7. Do you understand the circumstances behind that loss are so improbable? This is what I mean. It's so hard to win a championship. Even last year, we lose to Vegas. Vegas looks like a beast going up against the worst team in the playoffs in the Canadians. And Vegas lost to them. It's, it's hard to win, guys. And you've got to give guys a little more slack than when they're 25. McKinnon has been around for a while, I know. He's been around since he was like 18 years old. But for the love of God, the guy has just barely entered his prime. How about you give him a little time before you start calling his legacy into question after seeing how competitive he is and how much he wants his team to win after everything we have ever seen in sports. Not everyone can just be Tom Brady and win like 50 championships, which is what makes Tom Brady and his legacy so special because he did that, because he's Tom Brady. Not everyone can just have that, especially in hockey. And you know... It just, it never gets any less ridiculous. I mean, as you can probably tell by the, the rant that I'm currently on, nothing gets me so bothered by the, more than those conversations. And the fact that we're even, that I even saw that brought up, not even by just like, oh, like Minnesota fans, which I would understand, you know, you're, 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 po you're poking fun at your rivals, like genuine like writers and fans, like legitimately like questioning Nathan McKinnon and his methods because the Avalanche haven't won yet. So therefore, his competitiveness is unfounded and he's a fraud. I wish I was overreacting to this because it does, like, I get it. I'm part of this. Sports media, you need to have stuff to talk about. But legacy conversations to me are so utterly pointless until a player is in the twilight of their career. I mean... Ray Bork won a Stanley Cup in his final game. You look at the, those Avalanche teams where they lost to Dallas and then won the Stanley Cup the next year. They were they were probably saying the same thing about them. This team can't get it done. Uh, like, if you want to send me on a rant, just say the words to me that this player can't get it done. I can probably go on this same rant about Connor McDavid and pe people who will say, well, oh, McDavid can't get it done. I would probably say it about the Leafs just because by literally watching their games, I don't know if those guys can get it done because they just collapse when the pressure comes on. For guys like McKinnon and McDavid and Ovechkin for the longest time, there was full evidence that those guys could get it done and they were being let down. And even with the Avalanche, I wouldn't even say they've let McKinnon down. I think they have played playoff series and just lost them. I fully believe that this team is going to win a cup, and I'm not going to call them failures until it's a failure, not like two years into their cup window. Like, I can't, I can't even imagine, like, actually having that thought that they, the Avalanche can't get it done. They made the playoffs two years ahead of schedule and made it two years in a row during that time period before they were ready and turned it into a second-round appearance out of that. And then they became cup contenders, lost a crazy series to Dallas, and just couldn't get it done against Vegas, but learned valuable lessons from that series that I expect that they're going to take forward into their next playoff run. The fact that you people can even call that uh, this team can't get it done 
boggles my mind in every imaginable way. And like I have gotten so far off track here from talking about the McKinnon quotes, but the fact that that was even part of the conversation from people who took that so seriously makes my brain physically hurt. I hate these conversations so much. They're so pointless, especially about McKinnon. You know, even as much as I would defend Ovechkin before he won the cup, he was like 32 at that point. Like at that point, that at least makes a little more sense because like they have lost to the Penguins in the second round and the Rangers all those years in a row. Like at a certain point, I was so sick of it. But with McKinnon, like, yeah, I'm frustrated that we didn't beat Vegas. And you know what? He wasn't great in that series and we needed more from him. That does not bring into question his legacy the word legacy shouldn't even exist for him yet. He's 25, guys. He's got 15 years left with the way he takes care of himself. And if you're an Avalanche fan and seeing how McKinnon takes care of himself and how he is leading this team and wants them to take care of themselves so that they can go far in the playoffs and you're looking at that like that's wrong, I don't know what to say, man. That is the kind of mindset that you need. That is the kind of Michael Jordan, Tom Brady mindset that leads teams to championships. Yes, they lost to Vegas last year. But you know what? You need to lose in order to win. And I thought the Dallas loss was painful enough to push them over the edge. But now they've really had their face pushed down in the dirt and humiliated after losing to Vegas. They're being made fun of, and I think they know it. And we have McKinnon, the ultra-competitive guy that is going to push this team next season, and you don't think when they get to the playoffs next year that they are going to go ape shit? I pity the team that plays Colorado, especially in the first round next year when they can vent all of that frustration. And looking at this Central Division, I pity the team that plays them in the second round because they are going to be angry. And I hope they get Vegas in the conference final. And I will pity them too, because there will be no mercy, if that's the case, from Nathan McKinnon. He will have learned his lessons. <sighs> Deep breath. Deep breaths. I was not expecting to really go on that rant about legacies in this talk, but I hope you understand my stance here, seeing that even brought up with a 25-year-old who is two years into a realistic cup window. It is, it's absurd to me. For, for comments that were praising him, essentially, Zadorov also continued in that interview to say there were times he and McKinnon butted heads. He brought up a time that Zadorov beat McKinnon's team in a scrimmage one to nothing because the ice was so bad and McKinnon got in his face after uh, Zadorov kind of was taunting him for it and apologized afterwards. But like he said, that's the kind of guy Mac is and he wants to win so badly and he's going to win. This team is going to win, especially when you have leaders like McKinnon and Landeskog and the kind of talent that they have. It cannot be understated just how pointless having a legacy discussion is. We're going into the third year of having Kale McCarr, guys. Like, come on. 
Really? We're talking legacy with this Avalanche team, and they haven't been able to win, so McKinnon's methods are pointless? That, is, like, as you know by the rant I just had, those send me into a fury. I hate those conversations. And I didn't mean to end up taking this bit so seriously, because this all started with me talking about people who actually took this thing seriously, but... I can't stand those conversations whatsoever. And I'm happy that we have a guy like McKinnon who is so dedicated to winning and is willing to put himself through all of that so that they, the Avalanche can bring home a championship. And Zadorov isn't like, he has no reason to lie that rookies look up to McKinnon and that he made the team better. If he didn't, he plays for Calgary now. He's in another country if he wanted to say that McKinnon is an asshole who is a military dictator who controls the team and makes them worse and is just a total dick, he would say that. Like, there was just, there was just no reason. And I'm happy that we have McKinnon on our team, and he's going to lead this team to success down the line. So, rant over, and... Still, uh, with the second round exit, it's we're it's gonna be a long time until we can avenge that. It's if there's anything I learned from my time with watching the Capitals and their second round exits over and over, it's that you just gotta live with it for a while, and there's nothing you can do about it until the time comes, and it makes getting past that all the sweeter. And they're gonna do it. They're gonna get out of the second round. I fully believe it, and I still believe that they are going to win a cup with this team, if not multiple. So. Anyway, Ryan Murray, I think he's a great addition to this Avalanche team. So to change topics a little bit here, is there anything else the Avalanche can do before next season begins? I don't really know, honestly. They have cap space. They have about $2 million in cap space. If you look at it closer, I'd have to triple check that again. But they have about 2380000 in cap space. I think they're going to sign some more insurance options. I like Marcus Johansson, Alex Chason, guys I talked about last episode. I don't need to go back into detail on those again, but they basically have to decide if they want to spend their remaining cap space on like a, a Marcus Johansson, who I think is a guy who can move up and down in that lineup, or put more faith in their guys like Martin Kaut and Shane Bowers, Sampo Ranta, I mean, and I think you can do both. I think you sign a Marcus Johansson or a Chason or Donato or Galchenyuk just to have more guys. As we see in the playoffs, sometimes it just comes down to who has more bodies in the lineup, who can survive the most injuries. So I think you spend that cap space on players that you know are useful and plug them in when you need them. And Martin Kautz is still going to get his opportunities, as well as Bowers, as well as Ranta. And you have the cap space, you should spend it. Don't wait until the trade deadline and spend assets on players that you could have gotten for no assets in free agency. So that's pretty much my whole take on it. I don't think it needs to be a whole lot deeper than that. We'll see what they do. I, don't, I doubt there's really going to be anything between now and the next episode for this team in terms of signings, maybe even for the league. But we'll see where all this leads in a while. I mean, when you really look at it, we're not that far away from training camp. It's in, what, mid-September? 
and season's already just a little over two months away. We're about, by the time you're hearing this, it'll be eight days before it's two months before the regular season starts, so we're going to have a little bit of downtime, but we're going to be right back in action before you really know it, so maybe take a deep breath from hockey for a little while. I'll still be here talking everything abs for the next while and working on things to do in the off season. but as for this episode, that's going to do it for this edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. If you stuck through that rant, thank you very much for dealing with me and my nonsense, but I've been your host, Griffin Youngs. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I will catch you all next time. Have a great week. Thank you.